0: So, in Acts chapter 6 and 7, we're covering two big chapters as such. We're not reading every verse, as as I mentioned last week. But when we were studying the Gospel of Luke, we looked at a number of individuals Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Anna, Simeon, the rich man, Lazarus, Zacchaeus. And we could see, we, we, we were looking at their lives to see what we could learn from their specific experience and their interaction with Jesus. So we were looking at specific individuals and saying, okay, what can we learn from their lives? This morning, we're considering another one of those specific individuals, Stephen, who is identified who is the first Christian martyr. Now, he's not the first one who died for the sake of the truth, right? But that has happened, but in the birth of the church, in terms of what we read in the book of Acts, and following the day of Pentecost, and that explosive growth that took place, we now come to a situation where the opposition and the persecution is starting to ramp up, or is is moving in a very aggressive way, and the first person in the church that is killed, that is put to death, is Stephen. So, we're reading in Acts chapter 6, in the first part of Acts chapter 6 and we'll read a few verses and then I'll mention a few things and then I'll come back uh, and then we'll read a few more verses but in let's start in Acts chapter 6 verse 1 in those days when the number of the disciples was increasing the Hellenistic Jews and these would be Jews that were living in Greek in the Greek speaking world so they were they probably spoke Greek and maybe had even adopted some of the customs and the way the Greek way of life. So some of the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. And these are the Jews that were speaking Hebrew or Aramaic really. And they were in those areas and primarily in Jerusalem and in Israel. And there's there's a conflict that is taking place between these two groups of Jewish people. Because Their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs Moses handed down to us. So remember, or or pay attention, their charges are that Stephen is speaking against Moses, against Jewish customs, against the temple, and against God. That's their claim. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So Stephen now begins a defense of his, of, of his knowledge or wisdom and of where he is in terms of relation to God, and he's really responding to the charges that have been brought against him. So in verses 4 through 8, he talks about God's call and plan for Abraham, and he highlights the Jewish custom of circumcision. So he's paying attention to that particular custom. Then in verse 9 through 16, he talks about Joseph and how God led Joseph into Egypt and what God did in orchestrating those things. And he speaks of how the children of Israel came to Egypt. Then in verses 17 through 43, he gives a more detailed account of Moses and how God used him to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So remember he is responding to all these charges that he is somehow negating Moses and the law and the customs and so on, right? So he's going through all of that. Through verse 43, he's describing these things. Then in verse 44 through 50, he refers to the tabernacle and the temple and he makes one important statement there. He says, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human beings. He's not saying that the temple is not important, but he's pointing out that God is not restricted to this specific location or to this physical presence in Jerusalem. And therefore, he's opening the the door, he's opening their minds to the fact that God is for all, not just them in Jerusalem, not just the Jews in Jerusalem. And so he goes through that in, uh, through verse 50 there. Then, as you pick it up in verse 51, he says, you stiff-necked people. So he's gone through the history as such, the children of Israel. But he says to the leaders, the Sanhedrin, he says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Circumcision was a mark of the covenant relationship of the Jewish people with God. And it was the external, visible means of saying, I have been committed to God. I am given over to God. God is my Lord. Yahweh is my Lord. But he's saying to them, you have not been circumcised in your hearts and in your ears. What is he saying? You haven't yielded yourself in terms of what you believe what is in your spirit, what is in your heart, and you haven't yielded to the Lord in terms of your years, what you will receive, what you will be willing to accept. In this situation and in the situation of Peter and John and in the situation of Jesus before that, it was very clear that the Sanhedrin stopped their years. They didn't want to hear what these men were saying. And he says, your years have not been circumcised. You have not entered into a covenant relationship with God with regard to what you're hearing and receiving. You have not entered into a covenant relationship with God in terms of what you believe. So he says, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You fight against God. That's what he's saying. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Who? Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. He's speaking very directly. He's speaking very forcefully. But I want you to hear this, and we'll get to this as we consider this, what what he continues to say. He's speaking with love. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, The witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And before we look at Stephen and what we need to learn from his life, I want to address two other important topics from this passage that we just read. And the first one has to do with discrimination, partiality, favoritism. And it is the fact that there is that taking place, that partiality, discrimination, favoritism, taking place in the church because of cultural, language, and ethnic difference. Now some of you may be familiar with ajit fernando he is a christian leader in sri lanka and he has been the director for youth for christ for many many years he's now uh, sort of retired from that but he continues to teach and to preach and to speak and uh, he he actually wrote or is uh, has put together a commentary on the book of acts and so as I was preparing as going through that. It's a very good study in the book of Acts. It's the NIV application commentary, Ajit Fernando. I encourage you to look at it or get it. You can get it on Kindle and so on. And it goes through the book of Acts in detail, you know, chapter by chapter, section by section. And he speaks quite extensively about this portion and what is going on in the church here. And there's a lot of things that he breaks down about the fact that these why these differences happened and why we should be aware of not letting these kinds of differences take place and so on. But I want to read to you just one small section here. He says, in Corinth, so to the believers in Corinth and in the book of uh, Corinthians, the two books of Corinthians, Paul strongly condemned the division of churches according to interest groups. You know, one for Paul, one for Apollos. He he condemns all of those kinds of things, and he asks them a piercing question: Is Christ divided? And in, that's in First Corinthians chapter one and verse thirteen. Jesus told his disciples that the unity of Christians is a key to bringing the world to believe in Christ. That's in John chapter seventeen, verse twenty-one. Indeed, the breaking of human barriers is a key ingredient of the Christian message. And our failure to demonstrate it, that Christian unity, is a key hindrance to evangelistic effectiveness with non-Christians. And Ajit Fernando, who in, in Sri Lanka, they have a tremendous conflict, ethnic conflict, between the Sri Lankan Tamils and the Sri Lankan Sinhalese, And he talks about some of these things and the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Christians, a lot of conflict, you know, just civil war took place. I mean, bloodbath that took place in Sri Lanka. And he speaks about that in reference to this. And he says that when Buddhists are presented the gospel of Jesus, they typically will respond, but you Christians, you fight and you kill and you are not united at all. And when Muslims are presented with the gospel, they say, you Christians, you fight and you kill and you're not united at all. And they, they now, now there are plenty of divisions amongst Buddhists and Muslims and everybody too, but they will, they will point to their brotherhood or their unity and they will point to the disunity in the church and in the body of Christ. And so what Ajit Fernando is pointing to or is reminding us is that this is a, this is a key area. And we often let cultural differences, ethnic differences, language differences, preferences, interests, desires, all these kinds of things divide us. Now, if you are divided for the sake of truth, if someone who claims to be Christian is not in fact, as we considered last week, holding Jesus in high esteem, if that person is not holding the word of God in high esteem, if they will not say that this is the truth that we are subscribing to, yes, there may be a point of division with that person. But when we divide because of all of these other things, then we are not representing Christ. We are not representing Christ well. And it is amazing to see it is instructive for us, illustrative for us, that even in the early church, birthed in the Holy Spirit, booming, exploding, seeing the work of God manifest in their, in their midst, right? the signs and wonders, all sorts of things happening. What is characteristic there? Things that come from the human heart, things that divide, things that cause us to see somebody as being different, as being less than, as being not as important and therefore did give preferential treatment. And so the Hebraic Jews did not treat the Hellenistic Jews as well. They're all <laughs> coming from the same, similar backgrounds even. But, and, and they're all believers in Christ even. But they treated each other poorly. So, that needs to be a, not just a warning as such or a, a point to note as such. And, and by the way, throughout the book of Acts and throughout the Bible, the Bible never sugarcoats the behavior of believers, of children of God. They behave terribly. Right? The children of God throughout the Bible behave terribly. and The Bible never hides that. It presents it. It says, yeah, this is what they did. It's not telling us, that's what you should do. It's telling us, this is what you should not do. And so there is another opportunity for us to exercise discernment and to say, oh, okay, I see what these people did. Okay, I need to do something different. We need to be do something different. We should not divide on these grounds, but we rather have to come to the Lord in unity. The second point, or second sort of topic I want to point out from this passage before we get into looking at Stephen is this, seeming differentiation between practical ministry and like pulpit ministry. The the sort of, and people have taken this to sort of imply that there's that split between the clergy and the laity, right? Those that are ministering the word and those that are waiting on tables. But that was not the point. The apostles were not saying we, the apostles, are better than all of you and we will minister the word, you go ahead and you know clean and wait and do things like that. That was not the point they were making. They were saying there is a need, a practical need. Appoint people who can lead in that context, who can help to administer this. We are going to give particular attention to prayer, to leading in prayer, to being in prayer, to bringing the people in prayer before God. And we are going to give particular attention to the teaching of the word because we have been taught by Jesus and Jesus told us to be able to teach others and we are going to pay particular attention to this, but this is not to split those things apart. In fact, when you look at what Stephen was doing, It says, a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. And then when they were arguing with Stephen, it says that they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. He was teaching, he was preaching, he was doing signs and wonders, he was doing the things that the apostles were doing. There was no distinction. But he was also chosen to figure out how to make sure that the food was distributed well, correctly. And the widows are taken care of, so there is no distinction of this kind. And we, you know, and we must keep in mind that just as the apostles Stephen and the others were all doing these kinds of things, we as believers are called to participate in a very similar way. There's no class distinction. There's no, you know, sort of raw, I mean, uh, sort of position distinction. That's not the way that the Bible speaks about it. The apostles as they are focused on those things, and the, fo- the people, the believers, as such as they are focused on, the, on those things, they, they all have to come together. And in the course of our lives here on earth, as children of God, each one of us has to be prepared, has to get equipped to both lead and to follow. In some situations, we're going to be following. In some situations, we will be leading. And we have to be equipped to do both when the lord calls us to do something at minimum there may be something that you have to do to lead a particular area or something just for your own life and in your own family maybe but even god may expand that in in the workplace in the in your you know in your neighborhood wherever you will suddenly find an opportunity come up and you need to be prepared and equipped to lead i was uh, just out of of university I'm living in a house, bought a house, and, uh, and uh, uh, living there by myself, and I started to pray, and I said, God, I want to use this resource, this house, for your purpose. I, I, I don't know what all to do with it and everything else, but maybe there's an opportunity to, you know, to have a neighborhood Bible study, to invite people from the neighborhood or people that I would meet or so on. I just prayed like that. I didn't I didn't know how to do it, what to do it, and then went about my business and met this guy in the store got into a conversation with him started chatting away and he he said something i said something and i said you know uh he he," and he talked about the fact that he didn't have an opportunity to go and learn the bible he wanted to learn the bible but because of his job and things he couldn't do it and i said well hey i you know I, i i'm glad to open my home and why don't you come to my home and we can just start to discuss the bible. And he said, "Well, the nature of my job is that I care for a person in a wheelchair. He's an invalid, and so I can't just, you know, go places like that. I said, bring him along." So, sure enough, he came with his in his van that was equipped with, you know, the wheelchair lift and everything else, brought this person along, and we just started a bible study. Then we had a few more people join then I had some people from work join, and we started to just meet in our home. And for years we started to do we were doing that and then i still keep in touch with many of the folks who were part of that and god just used it god just birthed something out of it did we know everything did we know what to do how to organize no but the point was that god will give opportunities for us and we just say lord i'm prepared i'm ready let me do it so don't wait for somebody else don't just say well that's for the leader right but you say god you use me, you prepare me, you lead me to be useful in the kingdom of God. All right, let's consider Stephen's life and witness. The first thing that I want to note is that Stephen was full of faith, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit. Grace and power of God in him, but, but these are the descriptions of Stephen, and, and Stephen and, and, and each of the other six men too but we're focusing on Stephen today, they were were full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. Last week, when we saw that in order to grow in discernment, we have to grow in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, this is the wisdom of God that is now in operation in Stephen's life and in these other leaders' life and these other men who are serving in these capacities to be able to do what's necessary for the body of Christ. But I want to make a necessary point about discernment and wisdom. It's not that we ever acquire all knowledge, understanding, and wisdom and discernment so that we are able to deal with any situation or person. We receive the wisdom of God for and exercise discernment in specific situations as they come up. Now, of course, we rely on things that we've learned from the past and so on, but we deal with that specific situation according to how the Lord leads us then. The next situation we face, uh, so, so, so we receive that wisdom of God specifically, and then the next situation we face, we have to God, go to God again and ask for wisdom and discernment. The fact that, for example, you respond wisely to your child's inquiry about God, and you gave a good answer, you know, the wisdom of God, and you thought to yourself, oh, that uh, I'm glad I gave that answer, you know. You're, you're able to give that answer to, the, to your child. That doesn't mean that you will automatically respond with similar wisdom when your spouse speaks to you. In fact, you may speak with foolishness to your spouse. So, you have to go back and say, God, for this situation, give me wisdom. We, in our self-centered way of thinking, think that if we're, once, if we're right once, we must be right always. That's the way we think of ourselves. And when we think too highly of ourselves, God allows us to make certain mistakes so that we realize that we can't trust in our own past history or lean on our own understanding. We have to be continually filled with faith, filled with wisdom, filled with the Holy Spirit. We are leaky vessels. We leak, so we got to keep coming back and saying, God, we need to be filled. No matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how long you've been doing whatever you're doing, no matter how long you've been in a leadership position, you need to keep returning to the Lord and the master of our lives for a fresh anointing, to be renewed, to be revived. We have to keep coming back to Him. The next thing I want you to notice about Stephen and the others who were selected is that they were not selected because of a specific skill set. The apostles didn't say, who's got experience waiting on tables? Who's been a good waiter? Right? You can balance plates. They didn't ask any of that. You know, they, they said, they, they, these men were not selected because of a specific skill set, the ability of their hands They were selected because of their relationship with God, the condition of their hearts. This is the primary criteria for all of us, and especially for those in leadership. We need to hold one another accountable to this criteria. Are we growing in our relationship with God such that that growth in faith, wisdom, and the filling of the Holy Spirit, our progress is evident to all. We need to build up our capabilities. We need to be studying the Word of God. We need to practice. We need to be exercised. We need to be diligent. We need to be disciplined. We must do all of that. I'm not saying at all that we don't excel and that we don't pursue that excellence with great strength. But most importantly, we have to grow in the Lord. We have to say, God, how does my growth and relationship with you, how does that look? I don't make an assumption about it. How does it look? What do I need to address? So that growth in the Lord is vitally important and what we see demonstrated in the lives of these seven men that were selected. Now, next thing. Stephen was bold and courageous. He didn't hesitate to speak the truth even when he was facing death. He wasn't foolhardy or arrogant with the Sanhedrin. He was addressing their charges that they brought against him. He was showing them that he's not ignorant of Moses or or God, but he didn't back down from telling them what they had done wrong, how they had disobeyed the very law that they were purporting to uphold. And how they were, in fact, fighting against God by resisting the Holy Spirit. That's what he's telling them, very clearly. But in spite of all this bold, courageous statements, it's very clear that Stephen didn't oppose the Sanhedrin because of hatred or of anger. Because when, when you look, when you, when you read what is here, I trust that you'll be reminded of what we read in Luke chapter 23, because in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus says, when he's on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus calls out with a loud voice from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in Luke 23, it says, When he had said this, he breathed his last. It's very, very similar. To this expression by Stephen, and Luke is the same author here. It's not a coincidence, not an accident. He he's noting what Jesus said from the cross, and he's noting what Stephen says as he's being stoned. So when Stephen, when he's being stoned, he's being stoned to death. I've had a few sort of bumps. I've never had somebody throw a stone like this, you know. Even that little little sort of bump or something hitting you and you go, oh, I can't imagine what this is. Being stoned to death. In the middle of that, Stephen's cry, just like Jesus' cry for those who crucified him, is Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Oh, His boldness, his courage, was an expression of love and compassion. He's warning them to repent. He's telling them, you crucified the righteous one. Repent. Come to him. Turn your life around. Set things right with God. Be received by God, not rejected by him. That's what Stephen is calling for. And then the other thing we see from Stephen's life is that Stephen's death was a catalyst for change. Immediately after Stephen was martyred, and martyr, martyrdom martyr, being martyred just means being killed for the cause of Christ, there was an intense persecution launched against the church. The change that followed his death was extremely difficult. I mean, they had come from Pentecost to this high, and then Stephen is put to death, and it's this intense period now. They are persecuted so severely. Many people lost their lives and the church looked like it would be destroyed. But because the church was persecuted, because believers fled from Jerusalem and were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, the message of the gospel spread far and wide. And Jesus had told them, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Very difficult. But this is exactly following God's plan. Stephen's death is just a spark. And about three centuries later, by 313 AD, Christianity had become the official religion of the Roman Empire. That's how this just went out. We look at people like Stephen and so many others who died just when it seemed like they were at the peak of their ministry, when they could do so much more. And we are saddened. We are at a loss for explanation. But God knows exactly what the breadth and the depth of our lives need to be. He knows what impact our lives have and what impact our deaths have. When we're in the midst of loss, Suffering, persecution, it's very difficult to believe Romans chapter 8 verse 28 which declares we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Tough to read that verse in the midst of suffering, in the midst of loss, in the midst of death, untimely death in our, in our sense, right? we, we would think of it that way. We may never know exactly why something happened the way that it did, but we look to God. We trust Him. We say, Lord, I'm I'm confident that you, the good God, you who continue to show goodness, you who manifest your plan, this is where it's going. This is what it is. You know, and that's why, like Stephen, we can look into heaven. Even when you're being stoned to death, we can look into heaven. We can see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. We can say, oh Lord, I see, I see this glory of God. And we can say with confidence, Lord, receive my spirit. You know where you're going. You know whose you are. You know who you belong to. You have no thought or dread of what is going on right now and of what may come. You're able to look with confidence. You're able to look into heaven and just say, Lord, receive my spirit. That's the testimony of a child of God. It's not I lived to be 120 and and I did these things. No, it's I was faithful. I was full of faith. I was wise. I was full of the wisdom of God. I was relying and dependent on the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I exercised discretion and discernment. And as I lived out my life in declaration of the gospel of God, and as I told people boldly, courageously, in love, with humility, with compassion, with care, with what they needed to do to repent and to be rejoined with the Lord, oh, I see, I see, I'm ready to be received by the Lord. No matter what age, no matter what circumstance, no matter what is happening. Stephen, so what do we do? We respond by encouraging each other to be full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. When we see each other, when we pray for each other, when we are speaking to one another, this is what we want to encourage each other. Not, did you make more money? Not, did you buy another car? And if you do, that's fine. I mean, acknowledge it, rejoice in it. Fine. Don't, I mean, but most importantly, let's encourage one another to say, hey, how are you doing in your faith? Are you full of faith? Has faith been leaking? Do you need to go to the Lord and to receive? Do you need to hear the word so that faith may come from hearing? Do you need to apply this word so that through the exercise of this, of the application of the word, faith may rise?" What about your wisdom? Are you acting wisely? Are you pursuing the things of God? Have you been dis- distracted, misled, somehow derailed by the things of this world, by your flesh, by the devil, outright deception? Have you been responding with the wisdom of God? Can I encourage you? Here's what the Lord spoke to me. This is sub wisdom, a word of wisdom that I just received. Maybe this will encourage you too. And then, are we encouraging one another to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In this year, we had plenty of opportunities, or multiple opportunities, I should say, where we were reminded that we need to keep coming back to the Lord to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to close out the year with that same thought. We want to start the new year with that same thought. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to have the work of the Holy Spirit manifest in our lives. We want to have the Holy Spirit Being filling us in such a way that he gives us the gifts of his spirit, of of the Lord, that we would then serve one another with those gifts. We want the Holy Spirit to so fill us that we cannot help but bear the fruit of the Spirit. A healthy, flourishing tree that is planted by living water will bear fruit. It will bear good fruit. It will bear abundant fruit. But it is when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is our encouragement. This is our challenge. This is what we want to go to the Lord with. And say, oh, Lord God, we want to respond like this. We want to be like Stephen. We want to be like those leaders. We want to be like them who were just appointed to wait on tables. But in doing so, with faithfulness, with great grace, with power, oh, Lord God, we want to respond similarly. And then we want to apply we want to say, oh Lord God, we want to apply your wisdom, and we want to apply this word to the specific area that needs the most attention in my life. What I need in my life, what areas in my life that I'm struggling with, which areas in my life I need God to act in, and where I need to submit and yield and see him transform, is not the same as what's going on in your life. I can't say to you, Go do this. But I can't say to you, go to God and say, Lord, what should I do? Which area in my life do I need to pay attention to? What do I need to set right before even I keep going forward and I just sort of keep going, saying, oh, I'm okay. No, Lord, which area in my life do I need to address? Where am I lacking? Show me. Reveal it to me. And maybe... God has already done that. Maybe you know. Maybe you know that this is the things that you need to pay attention to. Maybe the word of God has been coming to you for a long time and you know how you need to respond, how you need to apply. But I challenge you this morning, this, this in light of this word, that you would respond and you would apply and you would say, Lord God, set this right. When we do that, when we respond in those ways, when we apply, then we have learned something from the life of Stephen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so complete and so rich for us. And we thank you, Lord, for what Stephen represents. Very few mentions of him. Just one or two chapters here in the book of Acts that we read about his life. But what an impact. What a prompt. What a a challenge. And we pray, Father, that we would take from his life all that you want us to learn and to understand and apply it, that we too would bear testimony along with Stephen and with all those other men that were chosen to serve, that we are full of faith, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.